This week, we're lucky enough to be joined by Maureen Maher-Gray from the Northeast Pennsylvania Youth Shelter. Hi, Maureen. Hey, welcome. Good morning. So I've seen so much lately about the work that the Northeast PA Youth Shelter has done on, on Facebook and other social media. And I guess I didn't realize that there was such a, uh, a problem in Northeast PA. Um, would it be possible just to talk about what you're seeing in your organization? Sure. Um, we recognize that um, there were, we were seeing a lot of kids uh, during the, the school day, you know, d- didn't seem to be that they were in class. And um, I, uh, in a previous job, had been talking to uh, teenagers who told me that um, they would never run away from home because there was no place to go. And so I put those two things together and started investigating and researching and found out that, in fact, um, there is a significant homeless youth problem in our city uh, and our region. And uh, there are many wonderful organizations out there trying to work with this situation, uh, but most of them are um, controlled by the um, parameters set out by city, state, county uh, regulations because they receive their funding from those uh, sources. And so I set out to start a privately funded nonprofit that would cut through all that red tape and get kids help, uh, get them off the street, get them back in school if possible, uh, and essentially try to help them avoid becoming a homeless adult. So once you realized that there was this problem out there, what were the steps that you developed the, the youth shelter? Well, the very first thing I did uh, was organize meetings with the people who uh, are working on this issue, um, children and youth, uh, the judicial system, social workers, uh, educators, uh, mental health professionals. And I brought them literally to my home and said that I've observed this problem. What's what? What's the situation? And everybody acknowledges that, yes, teenagers are a particularly difficult group when they are homeless because they don't want to tell anybody and they don't want to admit it because it's a very shameful thing um, to be a teenager and without a family or a home. Um, and I said, all right, so how, what are we dealing with it? And Many organizations do have, uh, like obviously, the, the Office of Youth and Family Services handles uh, children under the age of 18, and they do tremendous work. Um, they work really hard. I've gotten to know some of the caseworkers very well, uh, and I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want their job, to be honest with you, because it's very, very emotional, uh, very draining, um, but they're, some of them are just incredible professionals. But for 18 and older, because the law considers them adults, the choices are much different. Um, They're lumped in with 50, 60, 70-year-old adult people who maybe have substance abuse issues or certainly maybe chronic homelessness. Um, And they are are babes in the woods. They don't know what they don't know. And they're very vulnerable to um, assault and being manipulated. Um, human trafficking is something I learned about, uh, which is a big problem in our area uh, because we're in that triangle of interstates. 
and a, a kid can get picked up by a truck driver at any one of the, you know, the gas stations and be whisked away into any direction in North or South America before anybody even knows that they're gone. Uh, because they're homeless, they ch- chances are they don't have a working cell phone and nobody can track them. Um, and to me, that was pretty horrific. That was actually the first story that I heard about a, a teenager who was kicked out by his parents because he was gay. And he uh, connected on Craigslist with someone who said they were from New York City and promised them love and acceptance for who they were. And the kid was picked up by someone and has not been heard from since. And it's been four years. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm a mom and I couldn't imagine that happening to my child. And so I in these meetings, I said, all right, if I do something about this, do I have your support? And everybody was very, very supportive of what I did because they know they have limitations. And even though we do have limitations as well, but I don't have the same limitations. And um, we can proceed on uh, cases uh, as they present themselves more quickly um, than some of the other uh, organizations. Um, And our target market for uh, homeless youth, uh, getting them off the street and things are 18 to 21 year olds. Our first case was a young man who uh, was eight, when he turned 18, his uh, foster family showed him the door and he couch surfed for a year and a half, God bless him. (laughs) And then he finally came to us a year ago, uh, December and said, I've run out of options. I don't have anything to do. And I, and I still have a semester of high school to finish. How, how can I, what am I supposed to do? And so we initiated our rapid rehousing program to assist him with um, financial support in an apartment. He already had a job. uh, So we didn't have to worry about that, but we also gave him some uh, assistance with his utilities. And then we hired a life skills coach to literally work with this young man week after week after week to talk to think talk to teach him things about budgeting and uh, spending and coupon clipping and grocery shopping uh, and things rec- um, related to his education and what he wanted to do after high school. Uh, and he literally just graduated, quote unquote, from our program December 15th. And uh, he said to me that he was pretty sure he would be dead if um, he didn't have us to turn to um, because he had nothing left to live for. And um, that just broke my heart. But uh, the other time it it made me feel really good is that 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 was exactly our goal is to give people hope and encouragement and skills so that they can be independent adult uh, in our community. How many people would you say that you've you've helped? Well, um, because of financial considerations, uh, we we felt we had our first gentleman, uh, as I said a year ago. We've uh, accumulated our uh, we got our second client in late September, a young man um, that uh, I, I don't want to say too much, but essentially his family abandoned him. Uh, they dumped him on the doorsteps of another nonprofit with his clothes in a bag and 20 bucks and said, have a good life. Um, And uh, so we've just started working with him. Um, I take phone calls every week 
uh, from kids who are looking for uh, emergency shelter or long-term shelter. Um, several of, and not just kids, actually adults as well. Uh, we don't uh, have good shelter system for adult women who are not victims of domestic violence uh, and who don't have children. Or we don't have good facilities for that. Or, and really, the problem is becoming now so large and with the looming uh, eviction moratorium ending right now, I think it's the end of January, the everybody in the nonprofit world is expecting a huge influx of homelessness because people can't don't have the money to pay their pa their back rent uh, or even their back mortgages. And so everybody's bracing themselves for an onslaught of people of, from all walks of life who are going to need emergency shelter and, and long term housing. Um, and we're we're no different. So we we just had a fundraiser in November. Uh, pr primarily November is uh, Homeless Youth Awareness Month to raise money so that we can support more teens uh, in that 18 to 21 range in our rapid rehousing program. Um, I uh, just had to turn down a young couple uh, who are pregnant with uh, their first child because they're both uh, 17. And I, and I said, I, your only option is children in use. Uh, your young lady perhaps can go to St. Joseph's Family Center. Uh, because they do have an unwed mothers program, but they wanted to stay together. And there's no housing program that, that serves an unmarried couple with children. Um, so it's, you know, there are so many variations in the human condition and there's just nobody out there who can cover everything. And it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, so uh, we're just doing our part as best we can with the financial resources that we have. Wow. And, and you hit the nail on the head with the, the um, eviction moratorium coming mm -hmm. up and, and how that's going to impact so many lives. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other impacts that you've seen due to COVID? Well, for us, um, we, we, actually, we actually also run an after-school teen drop-in center just uh, four blocks from uh, the, the Scranton High School. And our location is perfect when the kids are on their walking home on their way from school. Uh, but once the kids started, to, and we were, we were averaging, before COVID, we were averaging almost 50 kids a day. We had enrolled uh, 190 individual students. Um, and it's not just high school students. It's um, kids who are in cyber school. And there, we even had a couple of kids who were dropouts. And, um, but the, their friends were there. So that's where they wanted to be, is where their friends are. So when COVID hit, we had to shut down, of course, like everybody else. And when the school went virtual, it meant that they were no longer walking home from the school. And many of our kids live two, three, four miles away from the school. So they're not going to walk over to our center uh, at the end of their school day, their virtual school day. Um, it's just you know, too far for, for a couple of hours. Uh, so we, our, our attendance dropped dramatically, as we expected it, that it would. And we, had, we tried to reopen this school year. And we were averaging five kids. <laughs> Um, a day, our first month. Uh, it picked up a little bit in October. And then in November, we had an infection amongst um, my interns. And we had to close down again. And then at the same time, the, the cases in our county were just starting to spiral out of control, mirroring the country. And I couldn't in good conscience reopen and it put everybody at risk. 
So we have been closed since uh, November 5th. I am monitoring the situation and hope to reopen January 25th. Uh, and those will be truncated hours, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. Because we want to make sure our kids get food. Uh, we serve dinner. We also have snacks. We have groceries that they can take home. Uh, and, and really, for teenagers particularly, if anybody listening knows teenagers, it's their social group that they crave. And they're not getting that at home virtually either. So it's an opportunity for them to be face-to-face -face with their friends. Now, we do require masks. We have hand sanitizer all over the place. We have plexiglass dividers at our tables uh, so that there's no uh, minimizing the amount of spread. Um, but it, COVID is an airborne disease, and uh, you can't, people can't stop breathing. And that's how you know, the infection is primarily spread. So I'm going to keep monitoring it. If, um, if things improve, then we will open on January 25th. If things are continuing to be out of control, then we'll delay it um, uh, an additional few weeks and, and just keep uh, uh, on that. But what makes me the most uh, upset about being closed is that, again, we don't, our kids aren't eating regular meals. Um, they're not, um, perhaps they're not getting personal care products, so their hygiene is suffering. Um, and um, they're becoming socially isolated, which is terrible. Um, and our volunteers are all vetted uh, with through um, background clearances. So they're responsible, trusting people. And the kids have turned to them for uh, supportive relationships and just somebody to talk to uh, for advice or, or you know, getting to know somebody. Um, and all the, the kids are missing out on all that. And that just breaks my heart. And you, you kind of touched on something that I, I was about <laughs> to ask about, uh, which is what's the impact of, you talked about how great it is that kids are able to get regular mm -hmm. meals, um, participate in their social mm -hmm. groups, um, have, have some other help. And, and so my question was going to be what happens if, that's not there then what's gonna then what are those the, those teenagers gonna do um and not just in in a covid world if if for instance you didn't exist what what would be happening well um i i again you know we have to talk about the two realities the pre-covid and the and the during covid um pre-covid a lot of our kids um don't have the technology at home uh either a laptop or a tablet, and a lot of them don't even have internet at home. So being able to uh, participate in school virtually is quite a challenge. And if you have a student who's not motivated to begin with, eh, there's, no, there's no incentive to uh, do anything related to school. Um, I'm sure that some of them log in in the morning so they are counted for attendance, and then they walk away uh, if they even have the technology. We know that the school district ordered um, what I think almost 10,000 uh, Chromebooks last spring when um, it became clear that school was not going to be in session. And most of those have not been delivered yet. Uh, and those Chromebooks are all designated for low income kids. And OK, so you get a laptop. That's fantastic. Well, now you have to arrange with one of the Internet companies for low income Internet. When we tried to set up um, our young man. Um, 
our first young man on to get cable or not cable, excuse me, internet service. So he could do his college classes. Uh, the wait time uh, from one of the local cable companies, and this was the best time. It was three weeks to get him set up um, for internet. Wow. Um, and, you know, in college and even in high school, you can't miss three weeks worth of work and expect that you're going to do well. Um, so he right. was he was going downtown to use the Wi-Fi um, for his classwork um, or he was coming to our center when um, we were there doing administrative work to do his to do his classwork because we have Wi-Fi. Um, so I think about the families that I know who have neither. We were graciously donated um, nine, nine laptops and uh, we distributed them. I gave one family, a very large family, six of them um, because they had, they have, obviously they have uh, several kids in the school and they were so thrilled, um, so um, moved um, and that, that, that then they could get internet for $40 a month um, so all of their kids could participate in school. Um, and they actually just called me a couple weeks ago and said that their kids had three friends. Did I have any more laptops um, that they could give their friends? And um, I didn't at the time, but coincidentally, a couple days later, a, a local uh, business person brought me three laptops from their office that they were um, finished with. So I'm going to give them to that family to give to their friends. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, the school is we we you know i readily admit i'm a privileged white woman and we know that school and education are the keys to a, a decent future um, these kids don't necessarily have that frame of mind or that support and uh, don't no, not necessarily appreciate uh, the value of education so not being able there to encourage them to stay in school and do well in school means I think that many of them are just not dropping out. I know the school reported school district reported recently a, a significant drop in the number of kids who were registered. And I think that it has something to do with technology. I'm shocked how hard it is for someone that wants to improve their life, how how difficult it is to actually mm -hmm. do it. Like it's almost like the deck is Oh. stacked against them I, I can't imagine someone wanting to do college and and wanting and needing internet and and like you mentioned having to wait three weeks to, to be able to yeah. do that well, That's crazy. our system is stacked against poor people and when you live in a you know a middle or upper middle class bubble you don't realize that it's tough for poor people in our area uh in any area um we talk about um people are 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 they're well-meaning but it's like well why don't they just get a, a driver's license well all right let's examine that for a moment <laughs> you're in a family that maybe only has one parent that that parent maybe works one or two jobs just to make ends meet they may or may not even have a car to get to the dmv in dunmore not to mention the 30 bucks that you need to get your id but you have to have for a teenager they have to have driver's education and that can be between three and five hundred dollars. And you have to have a car to be able to do the hours required before you can take your test. So, no, it's not a simple matter of just going and getting a driver's license. Um, we took this young man, both of our young men to get photo IDs. And the first young man, we were there two or three hours. 
And uh, he, he had first, he had to request copies of his birth certificate and his social security card because he had neither. And our second young man, while his family gave him those documents, um, the, because he was over, they're both over 18, the requirements to get a driver's license, or not, excuse me, a photo ID, you have to have a mortgage or a tax notice or a bill notice uh, with your address and name on it. Um, well, you know, if you're just, <laughs> if you've just arrived in this area and you don't even have an apartment yet, you don't have those documents. Um, and I actually said to the woman on our second youth, uh, the woman handling us, I said, look, this young man was just dumped here a week ago. He starts a job on Monday. He has to have a photo ID so he can start his job. We don't have, we're working on getting an apartment. He doesn't have one yet. Please just help us. And she took it to her supervisor and the supervisor did agree. Now, I don't want everybody rushing to get a supervisor's approval on it, but it's difficult. It's difficult when you're poor and when you're abandoned with no resources, it's even harder. And, um, you know, we, we're doing our, our best, but it opened my eyes to the difficulties that low income people face um, in, in just existing. <laughs> um, you know, they're taken advantage of by landlords who charge outrageous amounts of money. Um, whereas I, I, I'm having, I was a landlord in a, where I used to live previously. So I know kind of the ins and outs and you don't take a lot of guff, but if you're desperate, you're going to pay. And so I'm guiding these young men to locations that they're like, well, you know, we should just get this because we can. And it's like, no, 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 we can be shoppers. We can shop around. And, and we have. Um, and gotten, you know, what, what I think is the, the best financial deal for them and decent apartments too. Um, we do have a lot of slum landlords in our area who don't take care of their apartments and um, you wouldn't put your dog in some of these apartments. We'll continue our conversation with Maureen next week. In the meantime, please visit their website at nepayouthshelter.org.